this week on Inside Marketing, I'll be talking to one of Ireland's most respected and revered marketers, Colin Gordon. He thinks marketing's in real trouble as an industry, and he's better qualified than most on the matter. So stay tuned as we ask, how do we get here? And more importantly, is there a way out on this week's Inside Marketing? The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome. Today we're talking about marketing and particularly about how marketing has lost its way. And I'm delighted to be joined by Colin Gordon, who's founder of Engage Consulting and has just recently written a book called Marketing is in Trouble. Colin, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, Dave. Thanks for having me. Are you safe? Are you getting on well? I know we're chatting just about how Baltic it is today. Uh, No, safe and well. The family are safe and well, which is the main priority at the moment. And um, I have my own uh, sort of routine and uh, yeah, just uh, waiting for this all to pass. And are you enjoying your leisure time at the moment? Well, I wouldn't call it leisure time, but... um, Yeah, I'm not allowed to use the word retired. That that was forbidden very early I I didn't say that. I did not say retired. (laughs) <laughs> well, um, I'm enjoying it. I'm doing things I want to do at the pace I want to do them at uh, for people I wanted to work with. So I, 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 you couldn't ask for any more than that. That sounds good to me. Sounds like sounds like me all day, every day. That's that's what, that's what <laughs> I'm, I'm living the dream. Well, uh, listen, thanks for coming on. And I've said this on a couple of podcasts before. It's brilliant to have different perspectives on this podcast because I think too often the danger is it can be an echo chamber. So we have a lot of commentary from, say, the media agency the, the, or the, the publisher side. And it's rare that I kind of get someone from the client side on for whatever reason. I'm hoping to, to change that this year. But so it is brilliant to have you on because you've had such a, a distinguished career in marketing from, from the client side. So before we get into the book that I mentioned, give me your 60 second CV for anyone who's listening and says, I don't know who this Colin Gordon fella is. Um, just give me the give me the 60 second CV. So 60 seconds. And um, so 30 something years, 35, 36 years in 60 seconds. I uh, did a business degree in Trinity, uh, did a master's in marketing in UCD, uh, ended up working with UCD afterwards and then went on to work in their Center for Marketing Studies with Tony Cunningham, who was a superb character. Went on into different, well, lucky enough to go on into many well-recognized companies, Johnson Johnson, John Player and Sons, which is Imperial Tobacco, I guess. Um, and then I went into what was the CNC Group, or what is the CNC Group, mm-hmm. uh, slightly different now than it was then. I went in as marketing director into uh, their um, their business in Clonmel, which was Showerings, effectively Bulmers, um, lots of other brands. We ended up buying Ballygown. We had Britvic, we had Sidona, we had Ritz, and loads. And we brought Miller into Ireland. We brought Coors into Ireland. Mm-hmm. And lots of other bits and pieces. Then I went on to uh, the other parts. I moved from alcohol to soft drinks, and I ran the soft drinks business for CNC um, in different guises for about ten years. And then moved into Glambia. Glambia would be—it's the biggest consumer foods company in the country. It does mm-hmm. about two million units per day to wow. the Irish households and uh, restaurants and pubs and all the rest, whether it be milk or cream or cheese or yogurt or soups mm-hmm. or anything else. So uh, I've worked with um, with a lot of very uh, good brands, great people. Um, I've also worked with, uh, I was on the board in Board Bia for a period of time. I was on, I chaired the food and drink industry groupie within IBEC for uh, a number of years as well. So I got to see not just what I was doing within my own paid work, but also what other people were yeah. doing. And that gave me a kind of a wider perspective, I guess, in the whole FMCG area. Yeah, so you definitely know your stuff anyway. You've had, a, as I say, an amazing career, some amazing brands and been responsible for some amazing, not just brands, but turnarounds and brands, which we, can, which we can get into later on. But as I mentioned at the start, you have written a book late last year. It was, it was out and it's entitled Marketing is in Trouble. And it, it, first of all, it's a brilliant read. So congratulations. It's a great read. I'd, I'd urge anyone who's listened to this. And even if you're not directly involved in marketing, if you're even interested in marketing, it's actually just a great read. So I really enjoyed it, which is a great compliment to you. It was, it's really Thank well you very much. So um, it's full of insight. So I recommend, first of all, check it out. You also wrote, um, I, I was going to say, like to give people a taste of the book. It's not fair to say that because only 1,200 words. An article in today's Irish Times, which again, I'd urge people to check out because it makes a very, very short, and kind of synopsis of some of the thoughts in the book. So I'm going to kick off there. And in the article, you mentioned something which I thought was quite interesting. You said that you see, it's ironic in the way you see that marketing, um, how marketing has developed, what it used to mean in companies and, and what it means now. What do you mean by that? What was the point about the irony you see in it? Yeah, well, I, I guess there's a number of different uh, levels of irony. One would be how much was how much work had been going on not that long ago, historically, in the 30s and 50s in particular, um, somewhat in the 40s. 
about how important and how central marketing was to be in in, uh, in an organization's strategy and their setup uh, and their, their business modeling. And that was all very positive. And at the same time, marketing as an idea was becoming effectively pervasive. So a couple of numbers, there's a, over 10 and a half million people who have marketing on LinkedIn as part of their profile. Right. That's a big bunch of people. That's you know, twice the Irish population. I need to um, get my listenership up if the number's that big. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> not going well. Um, there are 100,000 books before mine. It might be 100,001 now. 100,000 uh, books on Amazon.co.uk with marketing in their title. Um, there's over 500 courses at level seven or above with marketing in their in their course title in Ireland alone. So marketing, and, and then you go into you know marketing as part of. We talk about brands, we talk about ads we like, we talk about campaigns. Um, it appears in films, it appears on plays, Death of a Salesman. So you end up thinking that marketing, it, its time has arrived, uh, it has all this great thinking back as far as Procter & Gamble in 1931, General Electric in 1952, David Packard in 1960, all really making sure that marketing was uh, at the core of business. And at the same time as all of that, the research I did for the book and my own sense of it for quite some time, which is why I wrote the book, would seem to suggest that people don't really know what marketing is. And by mm. the way, people don't really know what marketing is. Mm. Um, yeah. They have, in some books, some uh, authoritative books would say, would, would, would state 170 or more definitions of what marketing is. Mm. And part of what I was trying to do in the book is, is understand that kind of uh, conflict between, on the one hand, everyone assuming they knew what it was and it was huge, very successful, everyone was doing their thing. On the other hand, the people who actually were doing it weren't quite sure what it was and what they're meant to be doing. Yeah. And there's a lot in that. So we will get into a lot of the topics. And as I say, you go deep on a lot of these things. And again, which is good, which I was hoping for. There's quite a lot. There's a lot of books that are kind of, you know, doom and gloom and talking about negatives. And But I think what's quite good about your book was that there's some suggestions. Some are relatively easy, some are difficult, but we'll get in now to some of the, the themes around this. And one of the key themes that in the book is that, and it's something I know myself and people would probably generally agree with that marketing has kind of lost its seat at the top table, if you will. And you gave an example of how, you know, it, it being, as you talked about before, being um, having an impact on the wider industry. But one of the examples in the book you talked about is how GE, a company like GE, you just mentioned there, how they used to think about marketing and how they think about it now. So I think undoubtedly what's happened is business has changed and it's gone short term. That's just the way it is. And, and the company's main purpose is, is maximizing shareholder value. So that's a bit of a problem in, a, in an industry that's obsessed with short term marketing by definition. And you'll know this better than anybody tends to pay off quite a lot of its return in the longer term, certainly in the medium to longer term. So that's a problem. We've lost our seat at the top table and the world has gone short term and that really doesn't suit us. So this debate, I want to just talk to you about this short term versus long term. It never goes away. We've done, I think it's come up in three or four podcasts. But yet when you look at the work and the research that's available and um, Binet and Field and all that, we seem to have I don't know why this argument is still going on about short-term, long-term. Why is that? Why is business fo so focused on short-term and can't see past any kind of quarterly analysis? And why has that meant that marketing is disintermediated in that sense? That's a long question, but... No, no. Well, and, and there's a lot, a lot in the question. My, my offer and the answers is my offer. Other people might have different views, um, but I'm trying to put it on the basis of the research I did uh, not just the qual research I did uh, with uh, with behavior and attitudes for the book, but also my own experience and a fair amount of desk research and library research uh, to understand what's going on. So let me just think about it in one way. If you don't know where what you are, mm. very hard to actually be be really taken seriously. If you're sitting at the top table, you know, metaphorically uh, in a business, mm -hmm. and someone goes, "I'm okay. What what do you do? I, I'm I'm not quite sure. Okay, wh why are you here?" Yeah. That's the next question. What do you? How much do you cost? Yeah. So what you're doing, it's very easy to become uh, marginalised. Mm. Uh, then you have all the other questions that flow out of that, which is uh, if you don't know what you're doing, how do you measure what if, if you're getting there at all or not? Um, how do you, how can you compare different measurements against other measurements and so on? But but fundamentally, if you can't define what you are, then what are you doing at the top table in the first place? Then you dial back to at the same time as that was going on, and more and more ideas were coming out. Most of the definitions around marketing really revolved around the um, digital marketing. Uh, was direct mail marketing. There's consumer marketing versus uh, business business marketing. All these kind of things came out, but they were almost trying to get as, as many angels onto the top of the head of the pin as, as possible. But no, but no one actually knew where the pin was, what the pin was trying to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, digital marketing is not digital marketing. Digital marketing is a platform for marketing. Yeah. It's not a separate thing. My, my key issue, I think, is that at the same time as all of that kind of misunderstanding and misrepresentation was going on, which then causes you to say, well, what is marketing? But I'll come back to that in a moment. 
At the same time as that, Jack Welch, who was the head in every possible way, executive chairman, chief executive, president, yeah. everyone call it, of General Electric. And he was, you know, he, this guy was a superstar in business terms, huge um, increase in the, in the value of their business. He brought out uh, in 1981 a speech which was all along growing fast in a slow growth economy. And they were the American business system became preoccupied with the fact that they'd lost their seat at their league position against the Japanese. And they couldn't really get around that. So they decided the best thing to do was to bulk up their market value. And bulking up their market value developed into a whole range of things of mergers and acquisitions, cost cutting, selling stuff off, buying stuff in as quickly as possible Mm. and getting the results as quickly as possible so that you could meet the quarter by quarter time requirements of the stock exchange in, in America. Now, you could say most businesses are not PLCs, they're not listed on the stock exchange, and they're not. Mm. But this thinking permeated through right. business, and it permeated into business colleges, it permeated into uh, executive education programs, and all of a sudden, everything became measurable, it became Excel, here's a word, Excel spreadsheetable. Right. Um, it became uh, very focused on, will that deliver value now? Yeah. Didn't, there was a problem. And that, so the two things, you couldn't say what you were doing at the same time as people saying, I need it now. Yeah. Uh, because of this new pervasive thought from a rock star in the, in the business world, we're coming together at the same time. And that that, that was an unfortunate uh, combination or uh, confluence of timings and events. Mm. Yeah, and you can see why why it happened. Maybe marketing just, we, we can touch on this as we get going. Maybe like there is still a question, has marketing done enough to prove its its value and its worth? But as you say, it's hard if, if marketing isn't clear as, as an industry and what it does, even what its, what its definition is, that's going to be quite tricky. Another reason which you point out is the increasingly short tenure of CMOs. And, I, and I'd say the marketing teams, the clients we work with in, in a lot of cases, the marketing people are changing. And I do understand that they have to churn people around to keep them fresh. So they don't, not all of them leave the business, but they move around within the business quite a lot. They move on to different brands. And actually, when you think about that, there's a knock-on effect, a flaw with that mentality because it doesn't encourage anyone to think in the long term. So like if I was a brand manager and I was being bonused on my performance this year, and I'm going to have to hit this year by Q3 or, I'm, or I'm being, my budgets are being pulled. So it's not really in my interest to start doing something big now that would be paid back in three years' time because I'm probably not going to be there in three years' time. My success is probably going to get the benefit of that. I may probably won't be in that company. I certainly won't be in that role. So that's a real problem. And I guess when the question is, this sounds like we're in a kind of vicious circle and it's a downward vicious circle, downward spiral. So how can the industry think long-term if personnel change so frequently? Well, I think people, uh, the personnel changes so are changed so quickly because they don't actually know what they're meant to be doing. It's, I mean, I, I, in a sense, I'll, this spoiler alert, I'll go to the end uh, mm-hmm. in order to answer this. My view of what marketing is, is much more than the uh, the part of the business that is seen by the public, by your competitors, mm-hmm. by your um, by your trade. Uh, that's And that applies to whether it's business to business or business to consumer, whether it's a service or a product. Marketing is much more than that. My definition of marketing is making selling easier. And making yeah. selling easier may involve advertising. It may involve ad agencies. It may involve uh, promotions, PR, sponsorship. It may involve product redesign, uh, innovation. Not necessarily. If you dial back a little bit further, what's the purpose of business? Business mm. is all about identifying or creating a customer and finding a way to serve them, him, she, or them, uh, repeatedly, unless you're selling atomic nuclear plants, you're going to sell. You hope to sell something more than once. You might sell uh, a second one to another country because of what the first company is. Or after sales, uh, exactly. Even after sales, or you know. Yeah. So business is about identifying and creating, getting and retaining. If you want to call it making and, and holding a customer, that's mm-hmm. what business is. Everything else is redundant. You don't need a finance department. You don't need a production department. You don't need a distribution department. They all can be farmed out. You cannot farm out how you're going to hold on to the relationship with the customer. That mm. is up. So Nike don't have don't have a production department. Most uh, Coke is not produced by Coke. It's produced by their affiliates and by their uh, bottling uh, franchise companies, partners. So everything can be farmed out. You can farm out distribution, farm out HR. You cannot farm out the essence of a business, which is finding a way to nurture the relationship with, with a customer and develop that over time and, and develop the business because of that. And if, therefore... The visible part of marketing, and what I what I've gone on to talk about, uh, apart from the book, is this idea of icebergs. So four fifths of an iceberg is below water, one fifth above water, or thereabouts. Mm. The one fifth is what everyone focuses on in marketing. It's the ad, it's the ad award, it's the it's the quick fire things that people can identify. 
Uh, and it's very easy for a marketing person to, to be drawn into those rather than the hard, hard slog of, is the call center good? Is the website right? Is the distribution team up to scratch? Mm-hmm. Does the sales guy actually know what he's selling? He or she is selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the production department actually produce something which I really, really want rather than what they actually can do or, or choose to do? And the finance guys are only there to keep score. That's what mm-hmm. their job is, keep score and keep everyone else out of jail. If you if you lose sight of the customer as, as the core part of the business reason to exist, then you're losing sight as to what, what is your long-term or short-term. In, in a really, really strong way, the brand manager, marketing manager, assuming you actually need a department, they are not as important as the CEO who actually says, I don't care who's sitting at the table, this is what we're doing for the customer over the next 10, 15, mm-hmm. whatever years. I'm, I'm speaking those numbers. Yeah. It, could, or it could be five years. Then everything flows out of that. And an awful lot of, of marketing's worth to a company are things that are not invisible. They are the four-fifths below the waterline. Yeah. It is organizing the whole of the company and all of its resources to best serve the customer and to make it easier for them to shop your product. Yeah, I agree. With, I totally agree with all that. And I think you gave your definition of marketing. I think well, I think a lot of people, when we, when I'm probably myself included, when we think about marketing, we tend to think of paid promotion. We go there first, like the, the above the line paid promotional aspects of of a, of a campaign. And, and I agree with you that thinking about it in a broader, not from the aid, not from my point of view, from the client's point of view, whoever owns that business, like obviously we're just we we do the marketing bit for lots of different clients, but people having a, a culture of marketing within a business, I totally agree with that. Another thing which is difficult, you know, about this kind of inability to think long term, another thing which which hinders that, and you point to this in the book because you've done research on it, is the constant churning of agency partners. So I was completely shocked to read that on the research you did, that the level of change with agency partners, despite the level of satisfaction, exists amongst agency clients. So nearly, in your book, it says nearly all clients are relatively happy with their agency partners, yet they change every two, yeah. two to three years. So again, doesn't that... Doesn't it sounds obvious, and maybe I would say this, but doesn't that doesn't make it really difficult for anybody to think long term if you don't value a relationship? I think the way you put it in the book is marketing treats partners poorly is the way you you put it in your book. Um, politely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I say so, politely, but they treat they treat them poorly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so why well, does that it's happen? A dysfun- it's a dysfunctional relationship at best. Um, mm. I mean, at best, it's a dysfunctional. There are very few, and we all we we kind of know them. If you know, if you if you kind of put your a blank piece of paper and a pen, you could write down a number of client agency partners, uh, partnerships that have lasted over many years. But it wouldn't be, you know, uh, page 10, page 12, page 20. You know, you'd get, yeah. get a few down in Ireland, you get a few down in different countries that we'd know about. But it isn't extensive. I think the real issue is, and, and this, this is this is the kind of controversial thing, marketing people, if they have lost the, 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 the ability to get into the business, into that four-fifths piece, and really make themselves invaluable, as some form of um, of collaboration unit, a collaboration principle within a business to bring the various bits together to make selling easier, then they're automatically going to go to that one-fifths piece. Mm-hmm. And a really good way of keeping yourself busy is when you come in, fire the agency, go for a repitch. That that takes you know you can sit down at any at any table, any yeah. canteen, any drinks on a Friday night and go, oh, the whole pitch has taken ages for God's sake. And I've got pitch doctors in, I've got experts mm-hmm. running around all over the place. I mean, there is the, there is the kind of the very facetious thing of the the uh, not the four P's of marketing, but the, uh, the the three R's: redesign, relaunch, resign. Right. Uh, and so I, I've said it before in the Irish Times: marketing people, marketers have become very busy at being busy. Yeah. And sometimes I, I revert back to the Ronald Reagan quote, which is, "Don't just do something; stand there. Don't be busy." You know, look at the business, understand the business, understand all the different touch points and all the different ways a consumer's journey can be made a mess of. Mm. Or or if it's if it's a joy, how can you accelerate? How can you enhance the joy and mitigate the, the mess? And mm. that's what marketing is to me. Marketing is not about making an ad. Mm. Of course, I've been the you know, I've had fantastic fun making ads. Some of the ads have, have changed what we've done in the business. Uh, not necessarily in, uh, always just in front of the consumer, but they've given a huge kind of uh, kind of flag waving exercise internally in the company. I've no doubt about the value of advertising at all. Yeah, but it's the only part of marketing, and so the marketing people should know a profit and loss statement really, really well. Mm. They should know when to stop a production line and say that's not what I want. Mm. They should say the distribution guys are actually inept; they're not good enough. Uh, the order fulfill rate is wrong. They should have the authority in the business to be able to say that mm. and people to go, do you know what, you're right. Yeah. Um, 
Therefore, short-term measures don't matter in that regard. Mm-hmm. It's a much longer-term way of doing business. And the the short-term way a marketing person can shine is win an award, repitch the business, yeah. uh, redesign the pack, uh, do a promotion. Get a new agency for cheaper, get more value yeah. at agency. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a great point because I only know the agency background. But like when I think of, say, your career in the alcohol industry, and it wasn't just new ads. New ads are only going to do so much for you. So to, to yeah. rethink what you did for what was done for Bulmers, you know, a new ad wasn't going to get that brand out of trouble. It had to change yeah. your best selling um, skew. You had to completely you know, change your target audience, you had to change distribution, yeah. you had to get like, so an ad's not going to solve that problem. And I think all those things you talked about, I know we'll talk about it later on touch points and you, any potential interaction that a consumer has with the brand, a touch point that's creating quote unquote marketing. Yeah. And there is back to that point, there's a, there's another, there's a quote in the book, which I love, which, um, which you mentioned earlier on, which is David Packard's, he's saying marketing is too important to be left to the marketing department. And yet increasingly, we've touched on a little bit, but increasingly we have seen marketing become siloed, I think is the best way of putting it. So, mm. but just on that point there that you talked about, yeah, the ad is one part of it and the, or whatever, the, the end of aisle and Tesco is another part of it or whatever the case may be, but it's much, much bigger than that. And you, I'm quoting a lot of things just because there's a lot of nice ways of putting things in the book. I mean, you say, just to illustrate that point, you say that some of the best marketing is done by delivery drivers. And, and that's something that I talked about this last year when I was talking to a colleague and I was going, it was in the airport and actually the McDonald's, all the staff are wearing t-shirts just saying, my boss is a clown. And it kind of just, that was brilliant marketing to me because it brought everything that the brand's about, which is a smile in your day, you know, a little bit of fun. And it just lightened, it put me in a really, because it was quite stressful that time when I was in the airport and this put me in a good mood. So you're totally right about that. But I think when I got the book, I was saying, well, is Colin saying that we don't need marketing departments. Um, and you're not quite, you're not saying that, but what you're saying is marketing shouldn't be siloed to the marketing department. So you yeah. do, you would agree that large organizations, they do need a dedicated function, be it a person or a department or agency partners that can, in marketing. So, but how do you ensure that they're not siloed? Because it's very, very easy to say, we do it in our business. We, we don't want any silos. Easy to say, difficult to do. How, how have you gone about doing that in your businesses? I'll give you one uh, trick. One thing we did, and I actually found it really, really good. Uh, we developed what we called OBN, which is one big number. Uh, we were doing 100 of something. Um, and I remember saying to the guys, what, what do you think would be success? What would actually change the nature of that brand and the orientation of the business? And the answer was, well, we said, well you know, I don't know, 120, 130. And I went, yeah, what would 150 do? And they said, couldn't be done. And I said, why? And is it because we need more innovation? Because we'd, we'd, want to, uh, we'd want to change the pack format? Because the distribution guys aren't incentivized that way? Because the sales guys don't understand it? All of the whys became the unifying, holistic thing as to why we should do it. And marketing wasn't silent anymore. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the business bought into, I, I, I stood up in front of everyone and said, this is why we're going to do it. Yeah. And everything, all the, the first report I want to see on a Monday morning is that number, not all the other numbers, that number. Yeah. And what, and will people, not without, you know, enough kind of in, in massive, massive detail with loads of words and documents, tell me why we didn't get it or why we did get it, what we actually should do next week, what difference, what's different uh, uh, we should do. And we, lo- we used the one big number on how we're going against that target and how we had done against the previous 12-week running average and the previous uh, the 12-week running average of the previous year. So we were able to work out what was actually working, what wasn't working. And you can do, you, that's very easy to do in a business generally. You could do, you do that for product or for service. You can do it for call center success rates. Yeah. Find something that unifies and, and make it part of the company's mission. And it, it shouldn't be something which is, you know, for this month or for this year. It's something which you can say, we're going to get to 150 over four years. Yeah, I'm just that number out. That, that was our, our it was a 150 percent increase mm. uh, over three years. What we looked for, we got it in two. And why? Because we put everything around answering the reasons why, and none of the reasons. Sorry, there was one reason, which was uh, we need to tweak the advertising. It was very small. It was a really small part of it. Uh, the main things were internal to the business, and people understood what marketing was trying to do. Mm. So it became unifying. It became a common purpose. That is easier to do, I, I accept, if it's coming from the top. It doesn't have to come from a, a brand manager. But even yeah. a brand manager can actually decide, this is my pack. This is my uh, product. This is my promotion. I'm going to try and find what the one big number idea would be 
in relation to that small thing yeah. and make work around the business. Yeah, no, it's a great point that I think that idea of business are complicated, but that idea that I know my contribution to that greater whole number, yeah. whatever that means to me, I think that can be quite difficult sometimes because, but I think actually if you don't you know, you have... You know the old quote, Dave? You know the old quote of, the, of Kennedy walking through um, yeah. uh, NASA, an aircraft hangar, and what are you doing? He said to the, the guy with the sweeping brush, he said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Yeah, that sense of purpose and everybody no. knowing that, that they have their their, pl- their place in it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, it is amazing. And I think it is great to have it. It is harder to do than not do it and to just pick kind of, and I think what, and what you talked about a lot in the book is in absence of those things, that those meaningful numbers or contributions well, you can find a million things to measure. Like, you know, and I don't know, like you get right into tiny little, you know, media partnership campaigns that delivered X amount of likes, clicks, engagement, whatever, views, smiley faces, whatever you want to call it. And and we all think it's great. And yet it's completely, well, it's hard to measure the impact of some of those little small things on a greater good. But I think if you start looking for ways to how you can contribute to that bigger number, at least it's a starting point. You know where the North Star is. So yeah, I totally agree with all that. On the issue of art or science, because I know it's something you touch on and these things are related somewhat that they kind of intertwine yeah. as you go through the book. But there is a thing, Rory Sutherland makes a point that this today, and this is why I'm, I'm loving your answer. I want to hear your answer on this. I'm really interested because he makes a point that today um, the CEOs of a business are more likely to be finance background people. That's yeah. where they come from. They've the people who've won on the land grab. Whereas if you go back 20 years ago, the CMO was more likely to have done a stint in the marketing department. He knew he or she knew marketing. They got it. They they understood how marketing worked. And and by definition, then they didn't need to be convinced of marketing's contribution to business. Now, when you got the finance guys in control, they look short term and they look at marketing as a cost as opposed to an investment that is essential to drive growth. And the industry is not brilliant at, at, at proving its short term value. So, you are an example of somebody who's gone from. Within that career, you've you've tried you've gone from um, senior leadership roles within marketing, you and you've you've stepped outside of the marketing world to be a leader, MD, and CEO of pretty big companies. So, given you've done both, why do you think marketing can't defend itself? Essentially, why why we've fallen fell this short termism, and is it a case as we discussed about a second ago that marketing, quote unquote, isn't measuring the right things? Because you've seen both sides of it. You've been the marketing person working with a CEO yeah. who may or may not have a marketing background, and then you were the CEO with the marketing background? Yeah, so it's not that important whether the CEO has a a recognized qualification in marketing or not, or has actually worked in marketing. But they must be a marketer. You know that's a bit, that sounds all a bit subtle and maybe a little bit a little bit of a of a philosophical point. They need to be the best salesman. They need to be uh, a really really good visionary about where the company where they want to bring the company. They need to be able to understand the breadth of the company rather than just uh, the PL. Uh, they need to understand people, uh, both cu- customers, trade, and uh, and employees, and bring all of that together to be a um, a marketer of the business, a marketer of the vision, as much as of of the product or the service. And too often, um, and I do get this, by the way, uh, as CEO, you get dragged into everything. But the ability to be able to understand why is something happening, uh, the ability to be able to say no, um, we won't do something, and have and be able to give your your colleagues the confidence to walk away from the meeting and go, yeah, no was the right answer. Because it's put in a context, it's put against the vision, it's put against the, the wide knowledge that the, the person should have. That's actually what's going to set out uh, a CEO with a, a strong business ethic rather than a CEO who happens to be a good financier. Listen, anyone in business can get bothered with the day-to-day. And, and the, the real issue is you have to stand back and work out what are we actually trying to do here? It is about business. It's not about developing fancy financial modeling. It's about doing business. If you haven't got business, you've got no reason for finance. Yeah. Yeah. And I get I guess look the the argument, oh look, every business had them, we have them internally. And it's much quicker to cut a cost than to try and, yeah. you know, stimulate growth. Because the, the cut the cost cutting effect effectively gets written into your balance sheet the day you decide to do it. And you can you can start to plan for that and you can show, hey, we've made but it's a, look, the agency people, people like me will always think, what you know, we want to hit our number, why don't we, you know, do something else, win more business, you know, sell more, whatever. And the finance person will always think, why don't we just cut costs to to readjust? But you readjust downwards. I'd rather readjust upwards. I know that's kind of maybe But there are some things that they say, which are which are you know, I, I find baffling. So you go on to um, any of, particularly the American websites, or you go on to your uh, your iPhone and uh, and you uh, or you go on to some of the TV stations, and they'll give you the movement in the 
the Dow Jones or the FTSE or the Hang Seng in real time. Yeah. And they'll have news alerts coming in. We're 15 minutes from closure on, you know, think of, of, of Bloomberg and the rest. Um, we're 15 minutes from closure. Uh, that's nonsense. Mm. It's absolute nonsense that people actually can look at minor changes unless you're actually uh, a day trader or your yeah. business is about margins. Businesses don't behave on minute changes um, minute by minute. I yeah. think it's really, really, really poor that businesses report on a quarterly basis. Yeah. Because if you're selling something in FMCG or if you're selling something like housing stock, there are seasons, there are mm. outside pressures. Yeah. This constant strive for quarter on quarter or half year on half year continuous growth is unrealistic. There's, yeah. a, lot of, um, there's a lot of books in philosophy that I t- touch on but didn't actually go into detail on the book which is, um, have we bought everything we want? And in many cases, by the way, we have. We have. Um, certainly, if you go by the number of ding-dongs on our door here with couriers leaving stuff in for, for the kids and ourselves, um, do we want that? But do you know what? Want and need are, are, are becoming a bit, a bit messed up. Mm. But there is a sense of what is this that we have, businesses have to have financial growth every quarter or every half year. There is a movement a little bit away from that. Uh, most businesses... Don't operate on that basis. If you're if you're a corner grocer, you don't operate on that basis. Yeah. If you're a a, a a small term, if you're making I don't know um, a bespoke furniture, you don't look at the day by day sales numbers no. and the quarter by quarter growth on growth. Uh, you, you say, how what job am I doing? Yeah. Am I keeping my my customers happy? And we, mm. in the bigger the business, the more formal the business have become seduced by this continuous magnetism of growth, which I think is artificial. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Another thing, silos, and this, we'll talk about it in different components here, but silos are cropping up everywhere. Taking the agency side for a moment, and again, interested in your view in this because you would have dealt with different agency partners. So marketing, as you said, it's relatively relatively small industry um but yet i i'm increasingly working on clients and they could be they could be quite small clients no disrespect to them but like they're not, we're, we're not talking about enormous clients here and at a meeting you could have the media agency a lead creative agency a digital creative agency a social agency an activations agency um and and a couple more thrown in for good measures research agency yeah D-O-P-C. i mean and, and and that's the way it is so i do understand that it's quite complicated sometimes but i think you made a point in the book that and i know this if you have seven different agencies they're all doubling up on a little bit of work yeah. you don't need seven different strategies you don't need a social strategy and a digital strategy and a media strategy and a you know you may need a creative strategy separately but you need one central strategy deployed in different channels so What's your view on this and why do you think so many clients are lured in by the idea of specialist agencies, um, particularly in market our size? Why do you think it's taken, it's taken so well, much? Well, the, the easy answer is I have not a foggiest idea because it makes, it makes little sense to me. Uh, it really does. I mean, I, I, I've worked with companies that have had their own social media departments. They didn't have an outdoor department or a, a TV department or a, uh, they might have had corporate affairs uh, which might be a bit specialist because you're looking at the actual nature of the business reporting cycles and mm. governance issues. But mo- most companies do not need to have a social media. Um, by the way, I hate the word social media because it implies that everything else is anti-social yeah. media, which I find bizarre. But I'm not sure. There is a sense that everything goes in cycles um, mm. and people will uh, increasingly begin to go back towards a more consolidated approach. I certainly do think that there's something lost by having to go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting um, with all the different uh, so-called experts all in their own silos, all with their own cost structures. And there can be a little bit of um, unnecessary competition taking place if they're all in the one room. There is something oh, yeah. not quite right. And I think there is there is a need to stand back. Notwithstanding that, most of the agencies that were researched in the uh, for the book, in the research project I did for it, have a more grounded sense of what their importance is to the business than the businesses do themselves. Um, right. So even if there is uh, a, a rendering asunder of, of different parts of the agencies, the most obvious one is creative and media, then it's still interesting that, that agencies that have a, have a more grounded view of we're looking for revenue growth for the business. We're looking for this to actually work for the business, mm-hmm. whereas, agency, whereas clients are more often than not, notwithstanding the fact that they say that they're very satisfied with the agency, they, they're more influenced by um, the worth of the communications campaign, right? which I find at least troubling, if not actually just bizarre. Um, So agencies, even if they are in different parts, they actually care more about the business of the business than the marketers themselves. That's that's, that's a shock. And that right. and that's great that you say that because I certainly couldn't say that. I'd be killed if I said that because you say, of course, the agency people. So that's what I say. It's great having clients on because they can. Get, and it's great because you get a different perspective. I only see it from you know my side of the table and working with the agencies and the meetings are all fine. Everyone's polite. 
and say, no, it doesn't matter. No, no, we, are, we don't mind what budget is, but they're all fighting for the budget, kicking under the table, like, or, you know, having a little land grab. It can be quite fractious, but it's getting better, but certainly doubles up on client time, I think. Research is also saying, Dave, that um, that the the standard of brief is is poor and getting worse. Mm. Um, so it, there's, a, there's something going on. Uh, I think part of it is that uh, an awful lot of the, of the marketing brand teams, maybe not the senior marketers, um, but the brand teams, they're unsure of their ground. Mm. Um, they're they're not quite uh, confident enough to be able to say, we need to do nothing. Yeah. We're still on retainer, but just don't, don't do anything for us. Uh, we're yeah. quite happy with what we're doing. They're not, they're, they're not content about doing nothing and they're not quite sure what they are doing. So there's a lot of unease in the whole thing, I think, yeah. particularly on the client side and the, mar- the marketing agencies, whether that be PR, media, creative, whatever, yeah. uh, digital, they have a better view of what's, what's good for the business. Mm. And what they want from the research is they want to spend more time with the client. They want to spend more time understanding the business and the business issues. Yeah. Um, the client, when, they, when you ask them what, what are your biggest challenges, they want to know how to hire better people. It's very different in terms of, you know, uh, I, I want to do a better job for my company. You would have thought might come out. Yeah. Uh, it didn't even come out as being a major challenge. Right, yeah. Yeah, it seems that that, that silo. And, and it's funny because it's something you mentioned there, which is hiring better people. Just on that, so the, the, another trend which which I've seen, and you're right, things come in and out of in vogue and go, go out of popularity relatively quickly. So in-housing is another big thing that has been talked about. Uh, it hasn't quite happened to the degree that we have. But you mentioned like uh, clients taking social in-house, that kind of stuff. So it is. And I, my view on in-housing is that I think it's a, a big management consultancy fallacy here. I just think, I actually think, uh, if you think about logic, you were in Glambia, you know the headaches of the food industry, the problems that go with that industry. You know what, you know, it has its own problems. So if I was in that industry, the last thing I'd want to do is the, is the headaches of stepping into a mini agency and trying to run that, all the problems that go with that, keeping up with tech, hiring the right people, training the right people, benchmarking. Now, you might say, of course, Dave, you're going to say that um, you think in-housing is not the way to go, but I genuinely do. I, I Like, we have a couple of clients that we're actively helping in-house certain things and we do it I do this with a smile on my face because actually the bits they in-house tend to be the executional level campaign stuff, the stuff that really, it's it's low margin, it's huge. You employ loads of people, a very, very low Run margin for us. I'd much rather say to clients, yeah, fine, do it yourself. Call me, we'll come in, we'll give you a state of the nation, we'll help you with these things, we'll, we'll train your people, we'll give you consultancy, we'll help you we'll do the high value stuff. You can go off and book the campaigns, give yourself hourly reports, which the thing you talked about watching the stock market, people are obsessed with this in digital campaigns as well, just because you can look at it it's and you can get completely waylaid with, with nonsense. So I'm actually a big fan of, of in-housing. I don't think it's going to last. And I think a lot of people, big companies globally have made big noises about it and then it has quietly gone away. You find, oh, they're not in, they're not doing that anymore. So they're, they're quite big to jump on a, on a PR machine saying we're in-housing this way forward and then when it doesn't work, they say nothing about it. So I think help clients if they want to do it and they'll probably come back to market in a few months. Well, if you go back, and this, is, this sounds like a bit like a broken record, I guess. If you go back to what marketing is meant to be, if it is about making selling easier, what does bringing the, uh, a particular part of the agency uh, brief in-house what mm. how does that make selling easier if you can if you can farm out your hr department why would you farm in your uh, your executional piece yeah. on, on on communications yeah but it does go there's um i think it's the the new md of wpp has come out and said that um increasingly uh, heads of marketing are not cmos they're chief communications officers they're spending all their time on that one-fifth piece i've talked yeah, about yeah. before and if you want to if you want to be busy on that one-fifth piece in-house, that can be busy, bigger department, more overhead, uh, look at the number of people I have reporting to me, look what I have to do, I need a new office block or whatever mm. else it might be. It's not necessarily going to help uh, selling uh, easier and easier all the time. Would that person be better off and would that resource or that overhead be better off not doing execution stuff around communications, but actually mm. trying to work out how come the call center and the website are poorly designed? If you don't if you don't have a fundamental belief of what you're, actually, what you're about and, and the rest of the company don't know it as well, you may as well in-house, you don't want you may as well do whatever you want because you just you, all, you, all you're trying to do is keep busy and to move on then within the, the average four-year time frame that most uh, senior yeah. company um, CMOs do in, 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 in some of the leading companies in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Oh, just on this, before we move on, another book that you mentioned in your book, uh, which I'd read, so that's why I said, oh, great, there's a book I've read, so um, Range, which is a great book. And I, I touched yeah. on this point about the idea of generalist versus specialist we marketing is undoubtedly becoming and i'm talking about on the agency side here 
it is a big, huge mess of too many specialists in a relatively small industry. So how do you balance this? Because as the ecosystem becomes quite complicated, right, so even social, staying up to, staying up to speed with social from an agency point of view is quite hard to change. They make new platforms, new ways to connect. So we do need a degree of specialism in a particular thing as, as the world and marketing landscape becomes more complicated. But how do you balance that, this specialist, generalist thing? What's your view on that from in, in your experience? If it's about making selling easier, you have to be a generalist. You cannot be a specialist. You may well require certain people to help you out on, on particular spots, particular areas which are you know very technical or very detailed, and you may not have a particular area of skill. But if you think what if, if making selling easier does apply, and I'm sorry for going on about this day, but if it does apply, you need to have a, a strong sense of consumer behavior or customer behavior, whether it's business to business, product uh, or service. You need to have a strong sense of how to build teams around you. And, and, and I don't mean teams as in reporting structures, but teams of people to help solve problems. Mm-hmm. So you need, to be a, you need to be a leader. You need to be a, an observer of, of consumer behavior and customer behavior. You need to be good at P&L, um, the profit and loss account. You need to be very good at, you need to be a generalist. You yeah. cannot just say, sure, there you go. I, I'm, I'm now the best ever person at briefing an ad agency. I'm the best marketing person around. That doesn't mm. work. I mm. do remember when I when I went to Showerings, Showerings had, uh, and even the name Showerings isn't much known at the moment. It's, 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 it renamed itself to Bulmers. But I remember when I went there, uh, one of the questions put out by the group the marketing director was, they're coming from Johnson Johnson, uh, you've worked in John Players. John Players had just, uh, just as I joined, had the new health regulations. You know, there was no advertising allowed, step print, no radio, no in-store, nothing on, uh, even in duty-free was allowed. Everything was stopped. So basically it was print only uh, in, in certain magazines and newspapers only. Not uh, You couldn't do flyers, you couldn't mm. do, do it in wholesale and cash and carry, nowhere else. And I'd worked in Johnson Johnson, but I'd worked on the medical care side of Johnson Johnson, and I'd worked in UCD. And he mm. said to me, you've never made an ad. You've never been involved in a TV shoot. And I said, yeah, but my job isn't to make a TV ad. My job is to employ people who be really good at making TV ads uh, to, and to know yeah. what's right and what's wrong. And I only know what's right and what's wrong by actually working with the best and by knowing my, my consumers better. And that, that to yeah. me is, now, you know, I got the job. I'm not sure that was the reason I got the job or not, but that was, that was uh, to me, the only way of answering that question. You can't, I couldn't be the best TV uh, ad producer mm. ever uh, sat in front of them for a job application. I had to be someone who actually knew what was right and what was wrong. I would, so I'm not a lawyer. A huge amount of my time as a marketing person was developing contracts. Yeah. We developed a distribution contract for uh, for Miller in Ireland. We launched Miller Genuine Draft, the first country in the world it's been launched in. Uh, it became their export standard after we developed it for them. But we developed the uh, the distribution contract. We developed the we developed the, the uh, sale and purchase agreement for Ballygown. Legal people were there, but I had to sit down and go, "Yeah, this makes sense." But mm. I wasn't trained legally, but I I knew what was right and what was wrong, and I'd done a lot of research to make sure I was I was capable of, of being able to, you know, put uh, up a good show at a table. Mm. So it is generalism. It can't be specialism. Otherwise, you're the best uh, draftsman of a distribution contract in the marketing department. Yeah, but. Yeah. Again, it is something you don't have to be an expert in, in any particular area, but you have, but you do have to have the the broad. You have to have an interest, and you have to have a. You have to show some kind of capability or ability to to go in and, and upscale in areas that at a, at a quite a top line level that you may not know yeah. intuitively. Which is, um, yeah. and I think, yeah, I mean, I think the danger is people think I'm great at this one thing, and I'm not great at the other things, and and I don't know. A lot of business books says double down on the things you're great at and don't worry yeah. if things you're not great at. Which, several people who are good, good which, at things that you're weak at. Exactly. Yeah. On, you talked about salesmanship quite a lot and it is something that's funny. I think like we've done, it's funny when you think about even, again, sorry to keep bringing it back to my industry, but say the media agency and the media, um, the publisher industry, the media owners have great sales guys in terms of their, they'd see themselves in sales. A lot of the people who work in us would not see themselves in sales. It's just strange because it's something that our chief executive, Liam McDonald, would say, everyone's in sales, right? And, and they no, we're not sales. And actually, I, I see a lack of skill set. And it's not saying I'm great at it, everyone else isn't. I'm not particularly good at it. We just aren't very good at salesmanship. And you think salesmanship is really, really important. So how important do you think salesmanship is, not as a division or a function or a sales yeah. team, as, as a kind of a an attitude, or even when you're hiring people in, that ability, how important and how in short supply is good salesmanship? Well, I, I, it, is, it is core. I think it's core because salesmanship implies um, a huge amount more than, uh, as you say, just the operational piece of selling. You know, it, it, 
anyone anything. Robotic selling exists. You know, you can take an order, but building the relationship and understanding the needs and the wants is is really really important. And trying to find a way to connect with people is really important. Whether that be selling selling an idea in the company or mm-hmm. selling a product out in the market or a service out in the market, wherever that might be, internationally or domestically, is what it's about. And one thing I, I'm I'm sort of conscious of is um, maybe. On two occasions I can think of right now, just an answer to your question, we worked with an, with an agency who would have failed um, over my career now, who, who would have, and these are big, big, big uh, opportunities, who failed on the pitch, but won on the relationship. I remember going into one agency and saying, uh, it didn't work. The idea you had, I know where you're going, I know what you were trying um, and this wasn't a pitch. Now this this was them just putting yeah. up. It wasn't it wasn't a competitive pitch. It was them pitching an idea. Yeah, I said it didn't work. It didn't work. And they went, well, "What does that mean?" I said, "I'm not going to go forward with it." And they said, "Set the end of relationship." I said, "No, no, 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 no." But you had someone in the room who I really want to work with, and there's a bottle of champagne for them. I want to work with them. Yeah, okay. Pass on and, tell, and tell them to 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 keep keep up the good work, because we just connected. Yeah, uh, and you connect with trade. You connect with competitors. You can you connect with network out there. Uh, you're con- you're selling yourself, you're selling your business, you're selling your ideas internally and externally all the time. Mm. Selling yeah. a vision. Yeah, it is. Because it, it, there is a big difference between the art of salesmanship and working in selling. And I think people, when when you ask a question like, no, I'm not in sales, I'm definitely not in sales, but there's a degree of, of salesmanship in anything. And you're right, even selling something in, Pitching something that we're passionate about, um, from from my side of the fence, I think it's something that is it's in relatively short supply. Before we get into just talk, where I'm conscious I've kept you a long time, but I'm right. just enjoying. It. When I'm enjoying them, okay. I just get carried away, and it feels like a nice chat. So, um, and I'm, and I really enjoyed reading the book, and I'm learning a lot. So it's good. Another thing, and not that I keep saying this struck me, but in the book I really like this. That you made an, an interesting point, which is hold on to your first impressions or, or kind of keep them, and because they're invariably right or they're valuable at some point down the line. So don't forget first impressions. Malcolm Gladwell has a whole book about that blink, which is yeah. pretty much all about that. So I don't know, I've debated this with people and Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, his his, his examples or his hypothesis and some of the, the tests that he's done are, could be argued that no, no, they're kind of, they're set up to give the result that he wants. But the idea is quite interesting because this idea of gut feel, intuition, you think that's really, really important, don't you? In business and in marketing. Yeah, because I, in a weird way, you always should be an outsider. Um, you can't you can't ignore that uh, the person you're selling to, the ultimate sale, the revenue, rather than just the ideas or or the uh, the vision of one big number within a company. But the ultimate idea of what you're selling is to someone external to you. It's mm-hmm. to a in FMCG, you're trying to sell through the trades to a consumer. In many cases, you're trying to sell through the trades to a purchaser who then passes it on to a consumer. So mm-hmm. in many cases. You're buying something for someone else uh, who's going to eat it at home. Yeah. Not everyone, you know, buys for themselves. They buy for other people in the family, or they buy for 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 other other purposes. So you are. It is external, and you have to adopt the, the eyes of a learner all the time. Mm-hmm. And your your first impressions are going to be, I think, your truest impressions. I remember uh, writing down. I actually came across it recently. My first impressions when I went into John Players, and some of them were to do with just the the type of building we were in, the type of people who were there, the offices. Something to do with the product. Something to do with uh, with pricing. Uh, the mm-hmm. reporting structures didn't understand this. Don't know why they they do that. And if I looked at them now, I remember clearly what I was meaning at the time. And most of them would still be valid, or certainly would would you could hold a mirror up against uh, the company against these ideas even now, even though they don't have a factory in Ireland anymore. There was a very good lesson I learned when Jerry Grogan, who was my boss, who was managing director in John Players, we had this big, big, big bit of research, very seminal bit of research done. And the new uh, uh, tobacco uh, health regulations were in about a year at this stage. And we decided we just need to stand back. What's going on? What are the consumers saying? Mm -hmm. There were new warnings in all the packs, some quite dire ones, new regulations about what we could do with pricing, et cetera, et cetera. Got this big piece of research done in the boardroom. We all stood up, uh, finished our cups of coffee, thanked the agency. Jerry was there. I was there. Um, head of finance was invited and so on. Big group of people. Um, and it was it was very, very, very good bit of research. And I, we all um, shook hands. I brought the agency down to the, uh, the research agency, down to the front door, um, said our goodbyes, walked back up and sat down. And Jerry walked, as I sat down, Jerry walked in and said, what are your ideas? What's your first impression? And I went, right. uh, well, it's uh, bang, bang, bang. He said, write it down. They're the right ones. Right. And, and I said, what do you mean uh, by that? Why do you do that? He said, because it's so easy just to get brought into the day job um, yeah. when you walk back into your office. And suddenly it's kind of, ah, I'm not quite sure about that. And I wonder, did he really mean that? Mm-hmm. Your first ideas 
are probably your truest ideas. Mm. The, the other expression is your worst day is your truest day. Yeah, your yeah. first impressions um, are your are your probably the ones that actually are going to be most relevant because you've got someone external to the business and a, a research agency to tell you what was going on. Why would you ignore that? Why would you try and dilute or distort or or sweep it away? Um, yeah. So I I do I do believe that your first impressions. But if you think of it, even just Dave, you know, your first impressions of of a product when you pick it up as a consumer. Yeah, it's hard to get past it sometimes. Yeah, and you know, it it, it could be it doesn't taste right, doesn't look right. It's um it's too clunky, it's too heavy, it's uh, uh the wrong color. They're your first impressions, mm. and you can overcome them. But you have to have reasons. You have to challenge us to why you would overcome them. And I think that the first impressions, I think it's a really, really valuable thing for people to actually to, to try and uh, rehearse in their minds. Mm. It's hard to do if you're in a company for a while. You can still do it, though. So stand back a bit. What, imagine you've walked into this business for the first time. What's the reception like? Yeah. What's the state of the office like? What's the, the welcome like? What's the, if you're in the food business and your canteen is a pigsty, that's not great. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, all these things matter and they do uh, they do stand the test of time. And whether you're in the business, you know, a couple of hours or a couple of years, they still can be can be a questions worth asking of yourself. Mm. Okay, that's great. Great advice. By the way, what's a very good idea is when someone new comes into the business, ask them to write what them down and ask them yeah. to read about them. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And and yeah, good and bad. I think people don't like saying, you know, we, we give first impression if you're put in the spot, you kind of don't want to say too many negative things potentially or are just nice people. So sometimes we don't like saying that. We just go, oh, well, yeah. we kind of yeah. tone them down a little bit. But no, it's really that, good that, advice. That goes to the culture of the company. I mean, if you if you sat down with a new hire and said, listen, in a month's time, can you come back to me and give me your first impressions? Uh, and I and I don't mind. Tell me what you think. Mm. Um, the way we behave, whatever it is, just mm. you, you tell me. If the culture of the company is that you upbraid that person because they gave you bad news only, well, then shame on the company. Yeah, but that's it. You're, you're, that, that you're putting a lot of trust in that new employee to to to, to realize that well, he's not going to fire me if I tell him something he doesn't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to do if you don't know people. But anyway, no, I totally agree with that. The book we've we've talked quite a lot about. Because it's easy to talk about the problems, right? We can do that about anything. It's easy. I do it all the time myself. I tend to focus on giving out about things. But it all makes for rather depressing, gloomy reading. It's in trouble. Uh, marketing is in trouble. And we, we've talked a lot about why it is. But can you, I, I've decided enough doom and gloom. Twenty it, Just generally in life, 2021 yeah. is about, you know, stop your surviving, start thriving, try and make the best of whatever it is. So on that note, what can we do? Is there hope? Is there hope for marketing? Do you see it being uh, even in the medium term? Um, so 1982 is when shareholder value became the kind of the, the bright, shiny light on the hill. Uh, and everyone followed that uh, followed that light and, and, and uh, took it on board. What's increasingly coming out is the, um, the, the business roundtable in America, which represents all of the leading businesses in America, both in terms of tech and banking and uh, large uh, um, FMCG and so on, so on. They've come out and said, we have to actually move away from shareholder value. That can't be be all and end all. Uh, and they've brought, increasingly you see things, and Diageo have done it in the UK, Unilever are doing it, which is around uh, what's known as ESG, which is environmental, societal, and uh, governance. Okay. Um, and I think that is a bit of a of a, a chink of light. That people are moving away from this ruthless focus on growing, growing, growing. To hang on a second, is this good for the economy? Is this mm. good for society? Are we doing the right thing in terms of our business? Are we are we behaving right? Now, I think there's more emphasis around environmental and social than there is around governance so far. But I think that the three things being talked about openly by the Business Roundtable is a is a really, really good okay. development. There's a, even over the weekend, um, the Financial Times, the, the head of Financial Times said that there's a significant, I think he mentioned threefold uh, increase in the growth rate for brands that have a, 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 an environmental and, so, and societal purpose than ones that don't. Um, so consumers are, are, are actually, in a way, mm, pushing companies to behave that. in a different way. So I do think that um, there are signs of hope. I do think that... Um, uh, one of the, it's hard to say, benefits of COVID and benefits of pandemic, one of the outcomes in a positive way will be, I think people are going to be looking for what's the real worth of this? You know, mm. what is, is what's the sense of community around things? I think mm -hmm. it's going to become more important. Um, so, I, and, and, you know, it isn't all about price. It isn't all about spending. Mm -hmm. I think there is going to be, a, a, I think there is increasing signs of people becoming less focused on growth for growth's sake, because in some ways, 
that got us to where we are with the pandemic. Mm. You know, we travel anywhere, buy anything, go anywhere, do yeah. what you want anywhere, including taking over jungles and rainforests and uh, and previously uninhabited areas. Well, that didn't work. Yeah. Now, what are we going to do now? So I do think there are signs of hope. And I think there's a, so I, I think it's a, some really good examples, for instance, is Louis Copeland. Louis Copeland is, you know, around for many, many years. Uh, his business is shut for most of last year, shut mm-hmm. at the moment. And yes, his online uh, activities is really, really, uh, not, uh, repetitive sounds like a negative word, but it's there, mm-hmm. it's coming, coming, coming. Uh, he gives you new deal. And if you buy something off him, well, I tell you, bar coming out and giving you a hug. You get phone calls right, to yeah. sure the order's okay, has it arrived, does, does the size work for you, Colin? A thank you note, a personalized thank you note comes from where Dave or Colin or whoever it might be, mm-hmm. uh, who's actually packed it for you. Um, it's, now, not everyone's going to be buying Louis Copeland, but um, there's more evidence of that beginning to happen. People becoming more engaged with their, their customers. That's one of the reasons why I, I, I named my consulting company Engage Consulting, because I think an awful lot of it is about people finding connections yeah. and re rooting those connections and working on them hard. Mm-hmm. And that's coming through more and more as we go into, hopefully, a more, uh, well, a different post, uh, post-pandemic post yeah. world. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what the way we're talking about is like marketing and not just marketing, business needs to have more empathy. I don't mean that in a kind of huggy, um, giving everyone a big no. hug type of way, but it just means understanding consumers. You can tell Louis when you're talking to him, I think he he, he probably needs an agency. Help, ask him to give me a shout, tell him I'm doing really good. Well. <laughs> I'll send him a personal thank you note after he does a campaign with us. <laughs> so um, on that, and we're nearly out of time, but I just want to touch on something. You've had a, a glittering and distinguished career, career in marketing and business, and now you're a published author, but you mentioned your consult business there. So tell me just briefly about that. What are you doing? What's the plan? Are you busy? And uh, uh, what do you yeah. do? What type of things? Because there's a lot of consultancies around. So, get, what, if anyone's listening, saying, "What could Colin Gordon do for me?" If anyone's listening, um, give, what's the so pitch? Engage Consulting uh, is uh, it's advisory, it's mentoring, it's coach, it's coaching, it's it's working with people uh, who I want to work with, and in many cases, it is a mixture of mentoring and coaching. It's not. I don't have international networks of people all around the world like McKinsey's, and I, nor do I want to. I want to work with people um, who have particular issues. It could be uh, moving from generation to generation within a business. It could be around the. Uh, it could be about uh, trying to develop brands that they've ne- never done it before. They've just been in, in private label or contract manufacturing. It could be around a, a new business idea, but they're not quite sure who to connect with at government level or agency level or whatever. So my my role is to try and act as a someone who can engage with the company. That's where the name comes from, and help them engage with some of the problems and solutions. It's, uh, am I busy? I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I'm, um, my wife would say, what was this stopping working uh, uh, on a full-time basis? That that didn't work. Yeah. Um, but I, I also do some work um, that I've done for a number of years. I'm on the board of, of Concern. I'm on the board, the foundation board in the RDS. Uh, and I do some other pro bono work, which I enjoy as well. Mm. And that, that really does ground me. So I'm kept as busy as I want to. Um, yeah, I'm cool. doing what I want to, and I'm and I, I I time and I wanted to write the book, and I had time to be able to go and do that. Yeah, and and on the book, as I I said it at the start, and I said it all the way through, I'd urge people to pick up a copy of it and read it because it's a great read. So if anyone's interested in getting in touch, um, well, where can they get the book first of all, and then if they want to get in touch with you, where's the best place to find you? Do you have a website? Yeah, I, the, probably the best place right now. I mean, I have a website which is engage engage consulting one two one, but it's a uh, uh, the best places linkedin i can pick up messages i'm okay. I'm, uh, I'm i'm becoming a significant fan of linkedin and i can then uh, direct them to to myself directly and we can talk uh, off off the linkedin profile and platform i'm also uh, the book is available through orpen o-r-p-e-n um orpen.com and uh, they've been very good and very helpful in, in in developing the whole product at the end of the day if there are any issues in, in getting hold of it uh, just uh, look me up on linkedin I'll, I'll sort it out for them straight away and do say at the start of the book i'm interested in people actually giving feedback so uh, I got feedback this morning from a, a guy who's who I've worked with in the past uh, around the book and around some of the ideas who's um, based in Melbourne. And he's asked for copies of the book to be sent out to him. Um, so I sent him out uh, some uh, half a dozen copies of the books for his uh, his direct uh, network out there with some Tato crisps, uh, uh-huh. Cadbury's and Barry's tea. Nice. Uh, so Ireland all over. Nice. Um, Very good. Hopefully he'll, he'll uh, but he, he's he likes the ideas. He's trying to push them out in that part of the world. There is a general sense about a lot of people who have stepped out of day-to-day marketing, which is when you stop on the hurly-burly of life, mm-hmm. do you know what? 
we marketing needs to stand back and look at itself, and including Mike out in Melbourne, a good Kiwi, but uh, but um, uh, also a very good marketer and a very good marketing advisor. And there are, there's a growing bunch of people who are trying to say, how can we actually just maybe slow this mm-hmm. up a little bit and look at, at what is the real reason and purpose of marketing? And that's yeah. what I'm looking for. I'm looking to engage with people who actually are prepared to have that conversation. Okay, well, that is it. Um, thanks for joining me today and thanks for writing the article. And uh, yeah, but particularly thanks for, for just making the time. So I really enjoyed the chat. Been sorry for keeping you longer than I promised. But yeah, that's partly your fault though because you know, <laughs> it takes two to run over time. So anyway, thanks. And thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions and thanks to Andrea on sound. Until two weeks time, bye-bye. Stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast. Brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.